What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined today by two of my colleagues at Inside the U, David Lake, who's always on the podcast, and Gabby Eurita. Hopefully I said that right. Gabby, kind of chime in here. Eurudia. 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 Okay. We're, uh, we're going to do, I think this is the first three-man show, a little three-man kind of weave on the podcast. Um, I will admit from the jump right now, this is the second time we're recording this podcast, had some technical difficulties on the first time, so hopefully it's a lot cleaner, uh, a lot faster version. What we got on tap for this episode is we're going to kind of do a little what if. Um, we each kind of came up with some scenarios that have to do with Miami football over here uh, in, in the past couple of seasons, um, some different forks in the roads. Uh, so we're going to get into that. Uh, it's a pretty open-ended thing. But before we do that, Gabby, we got to talk about this, uh, this trade you made uh, on 24-7 Sports earlier in the week. Um, for those unaware, the folks in Nashville, they kind of orchestrated this thing where uh, some of the team sites got paired up with other team sites and made some fake fantasy uh, trades between college teams. Gabby was paired up with Alabama, um, so he facilitated a trade between Miami and Alabama. Obviously, this is not a real trade. It was just uh, trying to play NFL GM, but at the college level. And Gabby, Barton Simmons gave you a uh what was it a d minus for the trade why don't you kind of break down uh what happened with that trade um yeah so i think i think it was a d flat i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> give myself a little bit there uh, <laughs> um, so pretty much what happened was we we're just trying to work something out uh alabama needed a pass rusher and a safety so i was like all right give them Jalen phillips and gervin hall my intention was to get an elite offensive lineman in evan neal that just wasn't going to happen so i ended up getting uh, linebacker Joshua McMillan. I got an offensive tackle, Tommy Brown, who was a top 150 prospect. And I brought Xavier Williams just to get a, a slot receiver for, for Rick Lashley's offense. I feel like, um, I guess a lot of people didn't like just because, you know, Jalen Phillips obviously is a big name. Gervin Hall's a starter. But, I mean, if you really dive a little bit deeper, it kind of makes sense. Obviously, Emma wins the trade. I feel like I was never really intended to win that trade. But, it is what it is. We got, we got some, we got some, we got some offensive line help and uh, a solid linebacker. David, your thoughts on this, uh, this trade? Yeah, I see the vision and I like where he was going with it. Cause obviously Miami, you could make the argument. They have a surplus of pass rushers. Um, so I think including Jalen Phillips on a trade makes a lot of sense. I think you could make the argument too. If Bubba Bolden comes back fully healthy Miami is fine at safety with Bubba Bolden and Amari Carter. So I think that makes sense. I just think maybe it would have been better to get, you know, some guys back from Alabama that, you know, maybe are, are more established returning starters or aren't coming off an injury. But with that being said, I mean, I think the guys Gabby did get, back from Alabama were highly rated recruits, right, Andrew? So, I mean, they are talented guys um, at Alabama. So, I mean, I wouldn't have probably given it a D, but I think, you know, C, C minus, something like that. Yeah. Um, again, you can see this fun read trade piece on 247sports.com. I mean, honestly, probably just go to Google, punch it in 24-7 sports, uh, mock trades, and it'll come up just because it's a, it's a few days old. Uh, I would give it a C if we're being honest, probably C plus. Um, I know most Miami fans are upset about Gervin Hall and uh, Jalen Phillips being shipped to Tuscaloosa in, in this fictional trade, but let's not forget – Jalen Phillips hasn't played competitive football in almost two years. And while he looked pretty good in those four spring practices, he's still a big question mark. And that's kind of one of the reasons why Miami went out and got Quincy Roche. So I think you're, um, he's not a known thing. Like, yes, absolutely um, high ceiling, but there is, there, there's a good chance that, you know, it could not work out for him. And, and uh, we might just be, reading a little too much into what we saw um Gervin Hall 
you know, Gabby didn't even bring up the fact that Miami's also got Bubba Bolden, Amari Carter, uh, Avante Williams is coming in. So they got some depth there. And then the three guys he's getting from Alabama, you got Joshua McMillan. He, he, he's a linebacker. He was set to start for the Crimson Tide this past season. I think he would be right away the number two linebacker right next to, to Zach McLeod. And then Xavier Williams, look, another slot receiver. I, I wasn't as high as on him as the ranking suggested coming out of high school, but we know Miami needs receivers in this new spread offense. He was an Under Armour All-America. Uh, American. I think he scored in that in that game. And then uh, you got Tommy Brown, who is a sophomore tackle, true tackle body that uh, Oregon and um, Mario Cristobal wanted when he was recruited. So I think there's uh, some value there. I, I see the vision, um, but I'm not going to give you that hard of a time, Gabby. It seems like every fan base absolutely hated uh, what what trades were proposed for them. Yeah, and yeah. I think even if you had gotten like Evan Neal back, there still would have been Miami fans that would have given you a hard time. So it was kind of a, it's kind of a proposition where unless it's like a total landslide win for Miami, Miami fans aren't going to be happy. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's just the case with a lot of things. I mean, you gotta <laughs> you gotta embrace the enemy rule, man. You gotta you gotta do what's best for the squad, even if it's not the the popular move. Uh, you're la- you're learning very fast here. I I can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, one more quick newsworthy item before we uh, take a quick break and get into the what ifs. Miami picked up a commitment on Thursday night in the class of 2023. Um, yeah, they just had, they've skipped the class of 2022 altogether. They've gone right to 2023, but it came from Lamar Seymour. He's a wide receiver out of Miami Central. He is the younger brother of current Miami 2021 offensive line commit Lawrence Seymour. I'm sure, David, Gabby, you probably don't know much, if anything, about Lamar Seymour, so I'll, I'll kind of give some backstory here. Um, he's a kid who Miami offered this past summer. He was on campus, went through drills. Then wide receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield offered him. Um, I, I remember he made some impressive catches there. Uh, then this past season, he worked in the rotation at Miami Central for a, a team that won a 6A start state title. He didn't, he didn't start, uh, but he did play in the state title game. He led the Rockets with like 58 yards receiving. Um, if you go onto his Twitter account or, or check out the story we, we posted on Thursday night, you'll see uh, some clips of him making some acrobatic catches. So, look, a lot of Miami fans are, are going kind of, what the hell's going on with them taking this given the new recruiting protocols? But uh, there's, from what I understand, there's a reason why Miami took uh, the younger Seymour, and that's kind of to make sure uh, that the the older Seymour doesn't start looking around at other schools. And if you guys remember, before this whole uh, dead period thing went into effect, he had visited a few SEC schools. He had talked about getting to Florida, uh, talked about getting to Florida State. So I think Miami's trying to get uh, him locked in, just given the needs on the offensive line and. Uh, I think maybe taking a commitment from the little brother was a step in the right direction there. How do you project his style at wide receiver in college? Is he a slot guy? Is he an outside guy? Uh, it, it's kind of hard to say right now. Um, I think he. Uh, we had him listed at 5'11". I was told he's close to six foot. I mean, he's real skinny. I think what I like about him is he's got good hands, big catch radius, uh, for, for a guy his size, and he's not really growing into his body. It's not like he played varsity because he's this big kid. It's I think he played varsity because he's just that talented. So um, I think maybe, and this is this is a stretch, I mean, I really haven't seen that much, but I could see a little kind of a Mon Richard style in him, just from him being a smaller guy that's still growing into his body, but we'll see down the line. I mean, um, he's got some hands, I'll, I'll say that. And you said, you know, Miami fans are wondering maybe on social media, what, what does this mean with the new recruiting protocol? But in my opinion, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have the perception of generating some sort of momentum right now. I mean, Miami's been, it's been pretty quiet. On the recruiting I think, uh, I'm not gonna lie, I think there was some of that that went into this, uh, to went into this commitment and we've talked about it. I, I mean, you not on the podcast before, like Manny uh, knows how to play and push the right buttons at the right times. And I think 
maybe they wanted to get a guy in the boat and um look this was a calculated decision like Miami didn't just take a kid to take the kid I think they outlined pretty clearly what these recruiting protocols are and uh he obviously understands that so um is there a chance he could decommit at some point down the line absolutely but right now I think this makes uh this makes some sense especially because they want his brother pretty bad all right, let's take a quick break. Coming back on the other side, we are going to get into the what-ifs section of this uh, the show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, guys, and we are back. Um, so let me kind of outline what we're going to do here. I texted these guys. I said, hey, we need an idea for the podcast. Why don't we do kind of a what-if show? And what is a what-if? Something that happened for Miami, I didn't give the, them a timeline, um, but something where there was a fork in the road. It, Miami could have some Miami could have made this decision, but they made the other decision. A, a kid could have signed with Miami. Um, someone could have returned to school. Uh, Miami could have won a game. I, I left it pretty open ended. So uh, I think we're going to go kind of in a circle. Each each share one, and then we'll share our other. Uh, so I'll get this thing uh, going. So. My first what if. Let's, let's go back to 2017. Uh, the Hurricanes are 7-0. Miami's uh, infamous Storm 18 recruiting class is ranked number 10 or in the top 10 in the country. Then all of a sudden out of nowhere in November, Art Sitkowski decommits from Miami, flips to Rutgers. A lot of people are going crazy on our message board of what's going on. Word quickly comes out of Coral Gables that this is Miami telling Art to go in a different direction. They're the one that wants to part ways. And um, it made a lot of sense at the time. I mean, Art was struggling at IMG Academy, uh, not really lighting up the, the, the stat book. And I think he was actually replaced by someone else. So Art Sikowski's out of the picture. Miami goes in a different direction. A week later, John Rick flies up to Atlanta to watch uh, then Kentucky quarterback commit Jaron Williams play. The uh, Ricks is able to talk Williams into visiting the following week for the Notre Dame game, and by halftime, Jaron has pretty much decommitted from Kentucky. So my what if here is, what if Mark and John Ricks never decided to move on from Art Sitkowski? Would quarterback have become more of a priority in the class of 2019? Remember, uh, Miami never really fell in love with any of those quarterbacks. Uh, would they have been more interested in adding a graduate transfer after the 10-3 and three season to compete with Malik Rozier and, and Nikosi Perry? Um, I went and looked. Some of the notable guys that were available that offseason uh, in the transfer market, James Morgan, who ended up at FIU and beat Miami this past season, and another guy named Gardner Minshew, um, who is now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Also, what if Miami wasn't the quarterback that the Ricks decided to chase after. I, I look back at one of the uh, stories I had written in the wake of Art Sikowski's decommitment, and there was a few other names. There was James Foster. Uh, he was out of Alabama. He ended up signing with Texas A&M. There was Casey Thompson. He was out of uh, Texas, or I think actually, sorry, Oklahoma. He ended up signing with Texas. Both those guys, are, they're still at respective schools, haven't started a game yet. And then there was Cade Fortin. His mom went to Miami. He signed with North Carolina, recently transferred uh, to UNC. So, Gus, David, what do you kind of think about this scenario? What, what if Miami 
had stuck with Art Sidkowski. Do you think that would have changed the trajectory in any way uh, of how maybe the 2018 and 2019 seasons went? Well, I do think they made the right decision to cut ties with Art and pursue another option. And I think, too, looking back at the time, um, you know, considering the options, going after Jaron Williams made a ton of sense for Miami. And at that point in the recruiting calendar, it was a big deal being able to get Jaron Williams in the class eventually. So I'll just say that on the front end. Like, I think what they did was the right move and it was executed very well. Uh, you know, things didn't end up working out with Jaron. I do think Jaron is a very talented guy in terms of physical ability. I mean, he does bring some talent to the table at quarterback. There's just other issues that plague Jaron that don't necessarily allow him to be a consistently uh, productive, dependable quarterback at this stage in his career. So the, the what if scenario, the thing that it makes me think about your what if scenario is would it have sparked the Ricks, you know, Mark and John to pursue a grad transfer quarterback maybe. And I think that would have been maybe the best case scenario if they did stick by art, but I'm not necessarily convinced that they would have chased a grad transfer quarterback. I think when you see quotes that Mark Rick gives now, now that he's a member of the media with the ACC network, he's not necessarily a huge fan of, of the transfer portal and the fact that the transfer market is just a more popular thing now. So I'm not necessarily convinced they would have made a strong push for a grad transfer quarterback. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, if they stuck by art, I just think it, it would have been an even more disastrous situation because I think they would have just signed art, wrote it out. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened with the 2019 recruiting. I can't explain that. Um, I just think they would have been stuck with art in the end. Do you disagree? <laughs> no, no, you're right. And before I let Gabby kind of chime in here, I, I would just say with that grad transfer scenario, I just wonder if there was ever, would have ever been a point where it's like, hey, we just went 10 and three. Uh, we got an elite defense. Maybe... Maybe we needed another quarterback to, to kind of spice things up, and maybe they would have been attractive to one of those guys. I mean, I'm not saying they would have done that. I just it was something that kind of played out in my head and, and caused me to lead and, and look at what who who they could have got, I guess, um, in the portal, even though that was pre, pre-portal era. My counterpoint to that would be, I mean, look, I mean, we'll get into this later on this podcast, but as you said, Miami had just gone 10-3. and three. Malik Rozier, Rozier is still returning in 2018. And he, in 2017, he wasn't necessarily all that bad. He was still pretty productive as a quarterback that year. And I think you could argue he, he won some games with his play. So, again, I'm not – unless it was a, an opportunity where a guy is like a total stud grad transfer quarterback – I'm just not sold Mark and John would have made that move, even though in hindsight, yeah, they, they should have. I agree with that. Any thoughts here, Gabby? Yeah, I think just like thinking on the, on the grad transfers, like even if that was a market they were interested in kind of like tapping into, like do we even know that they would have wanted some grad transfer from Bowling Green and James Morgan? Like do we know that, I mean, would, would we know that Gardner Mitch Chu would have chosen Miami instead of going, and playing in the air raid with Mike Leach like I feel like even if they did choose to go that direction there's no telling that they even would have gotten one of those guys so I just think if if Miami was stuck with Art Sikowski the only thing I can kind of think of is like what would this this past year have looked like with Nikozi Perry at quarterback like because that would have ended up being the situation like he would have probably been the starter just based off how Sikowski has played at Rutgers I mean just absolutely terrible like I think it was I think his (laughs) touchdown to interception ratio is like four to 18 and that's like 
four touchdowns, 18 interceptions as a freshman. I mean, he barely even played as a sophomore. So just that would have been a dumpster fire. So I just think you, it kind of goes to like, what would Perry have done last year? And I think that that's kind of like, I think Sikowski just would have ended up being kind of irrelevant, just kind of sitting around, maybe probably could have transferred by now, probably would have been kind of the same situation as Jaron, except he probably would have played significantly less. To me, when I look back at that few years at the quarterback position, to me, the downfall is kind of, they never were all in on Malik. They never liked him, it seemed like. Well, they, they were just never all in. And we get the reasons why he wasn't, he wasn't accurate all the time. Um, And, you know, he kind of is a laid back guy. I don't think that necessarily means he wasn't a hard worker, but he's just not the vocal leader type of guy that I think Mark Richt wants in his quarterback. And then beyond Malik, they could just never get it going with Nikosi. I think Nikosi they liked his skill set a lot. I think they're intrigued by his arm and his flashes of talent that he would show that, you know, we've all seen. But there are issues, or there were, I don't know if they necessarily still are the case, but there were issues with maturity early in Nikosi's career. And so it's hard to put a starting quarterback, or it's hard to start a quarterback when you don't necessarily trust him as a leader. and don't think he's necessarily the most mature guy. So in my opinion, that's what kind of led to the downfall of, of the Ricks and at Miami and Mark would allude to this to the media, you know, during mainly preseason camps, he would talk about the quarterback room in general, give his take on what the season might bring for that room. And he would allude a lot to the fact you know, this was after Brad Kaya left. He thought the, the quarterback room was very immature, not much senior leadership, which it didn't have. Um, and he thought that kind of led to a room that you know, wasn't necessarily self-motivated. And Mark Richt always talked about, look, I don't want to have to motivate my quarterback. I want my quarterback to be that dude that's self-motivated and willing to put in the work on his own to get better. And I don't think, you know, we saw the results, particularly in 2018, of a quarterback room that, you know, didn't necessarily progress from 2017 at all. All right, who's, uh, who's ready to tee up their uh, first what if? I'll go. So my first what if... And, you know, I think most of our what-ifs are kind of from this same era. So we're just keeping the timelines kind of recent. Um, but my first what-if, going back to the quarterbacks, is what if Brad Kaya had elected to stay his senior season at Miami in 2017? So... Brad played one year with Mark Richt in 2016. Led Miami to a 9-4 and four record, I believe, that year. And they ended the year on a positive note, beating West Virginia, who I think was ranked number 14 in the country at that time in the Russell Athletic Bowl. So that, that win had ended the year with four straight wins. Seemed like they had generated a bunch of momentum. But Brad Kaya decided to test the NFL draft waters after his third year at Miami rather than come back for his senior year. That 2017 year um, that we've alluded to, obviously we all know, Miami jumped out to a 10-0 start, um, ended the year with three straight losses, but still it's been the best season Miami's had know for the past 15 years or so so my question is do you think if Brad did come back that senior year 2017 it would have looked different but would it have ultimately changed the overall record of that season would it have been better worse same because I'm not necessarily a Malik Rozier hater I think 
his dual threat ability really opened things up at times for the offense that year. I think his ability to run was definitely huge against Virginia Tech and some in that Notre Dame game too. Against North Carolina, he threw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns, I think. Um, Again, he wasn't the most efficient passer that year, but he would hit on some big plays. He led some comeback wins. You know, we all remember Florida State, Georgia Tech. He he had to engineer a a game-winning fourth-quarter drive. So he definitely did some good things. Now, on the flip side, he probably was the main reason why they lost those three games at the end of the year. Particularly, I think the Pittsburgh game you can put on him uh, for the inability to hit the open deep shots that were there for the taking. He just couldn't connect. So in the end, my question to you guys is, let's say Brad Kai comes back for his senior year. You know, I think the main thing I'm curious, do you think Miami has a better season with Brad at the helm? Uh, if we're being honest, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it would have played out the same way it did and, and Miami would have raced out and had the tent or the run that they had um, with the Virginia Tech game and, and then the, the Notre Dame game because you kind of hit it the nail on the head right there. I mean, Malik was a very good runner and I think there was times throughout the season that Rick t- t- really leaned on him to move the chains and I just I don't know um, if if it would have gone the exact same way with with Brad running the offense now that doesn't mean um, you know they wouldn't have nine or, or ten wins I just think it would have looked uh, a lot different than than how it did, went with with Malik yeah, I think that – I just think that I – think, I think the, the, the record would have been relatively similar. I just think that – like, how I see it is, like, Miami – Brad probably would have lost a few of the games that Malik won in terms of just, like, the games that he just kind of, like, took over. Like, maybe even, like, Florida State. Like, I don't even know. But I feel like towards the end, like, Pitt and probably the Orange Bowl specifically, I think that Brad would have been – pretty huge in some of those games so I think that you can kind of argue that maybe they wouldn't have been a 10-0 start if Brad Kyle was a quarterback but maybe it would have finished off a little bit better I just think it's one of those things that it really could have gone either way I'm not going to sit here and say Brad Kyle would have made my it would have taken Miami from 10-0 to beating Pitt and then giving Clemson a game and then even beating Wisconsin but I don't know if it would have even been any better. Brad Kai could easily lost a few of the games earlier in the game because just Malik was so great using his legs and on the ground that he just brought such a different dynamic that kind of helped Miami string together a few of those wins. So it's it's pretty tough to tell. I I honestly kind of would have liked Brad just because I thought he was I thought he was a I thought he was a really good quarterback, but he just didn't have like that that ground factor that that Malik did. Uh, I thought helped a lot. Yeah, I agree, Gabby. Andrew, do you think? Like, let's say Brad does start 10-0 and that year. They go to Pittsburgh. Do you think Brad beats Pittsburgh <laughs> in that game? I think so. I mean, that was just a weird game. The more we get away from it, it was, it was Black Friday. Miami was dinged up. But I, I do think they probably win with, uh, with Brad. And I think Brad gives you a better chance um, against Clemson. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know... Once we kind of saw as that season progressed, I do think defenses got a better read on how to handle Malik, how to contain him, how to frustrate him. And, you know, we'll talk about this later too, but we got to remember in those three games, Miami was missing some weapons. So even more was put on Malik's shoulder, shoulders in those games. And, you know, he's just not that dude. So I think Brad is more that kind of guy that can put the team on his back. And so it's just an interesting what-if scenario to think about. All right, Gabby, you're up. Yeah, so kind of uh, staying along the same lines, um, instead of it being if Brad Kai came back, just given the situation that Miami was given, what if Mark Walton and Chris Herndon were healthy at the end of that, that 2017 season? 
And I say that just because like Miami goes to Pitt, they average like three and a half yards per carry, just didn't run the ball very well. And then, you know, Chris Herndon was one of their, was one of their weapons. I mean, he was one of their guys, like, you know, and David Njoku had just undrafted the year before and Herndon kind of filled in that spot really, really well. So um, losing him towards the end of the season, I feel kind of just like really st- it contributed to the stall of the Hurricanes offense. So my what if is what if Walton and Herndon were healthy? Does Miami beat Pitt? What does the Clemson game look like? I don't think it would have been changed all that much, if at all. And what happens in the in the Orange Bowl if Miami's just fully 100% on offense? It's a good one. Um, I, I think in that in that Clemson game, it was pretty clear that Miami just didn't have the same depth um, as the Tigers did. I mean, that was really di- the difference. At, at that point in the football season, when you get there, so many guys have been beat up. Uh, you're dealing with so many different nicks, and it, it, this guy's missing that, this guy tore that. Um, where, whereas when Clemson's rolling out of five stars they're, as their backup, you know, Miami's Miami's going to some some guy that they're still developing and trying to get to that level. So I, I think that's a that's a a great what if. And I, I believe both those guys were also out against Pitt, right? They missed Pitt in. Yeah, that they were that's where they start that's where they, they started. I think Chris Herndon got got hurt early in the pit game. Yeah. Like really, really early in the in the in the pit game. And he had already had like forty like forty something yards before he got hurt. Yeah. So he was contributing early in the game as well. That's a good one, man. I think maybe maybe they get pit. I mean, we're gonna keep circling this pit game, pit pit game on this podcast. Yeah, I mean the pits the pit game is one of the weirdest games I think in recent Miami memory because there's no way they should have lost that game. But yeah, you're right, Gabby. Herndon did get hurt in that game. He was doing some work, and so yeah, it it kind of is interesting to think about what if he did not get hurt um and yeah mark walton he is one of the more productive running backs that that we've seen this past decade at miami so certainly not having him fully available was tough for this offense and as i alluded to before all this just put even more pressure on malik to perform at a level that he just can't really perform at and, you know, I, I remember too, do you guys remember in that game, Malik was even pulled in the fourth quarter, right? I think Evan yeah. Sheriff's got some, he got some playing time in that game, which was weird. Um, but yeah, I think particularly Mark Walton, if he's in that game, might it look different? I think it's fair to wonder because Looking at the stats from that game, the leading rusher amongst the running backs was Travis Homer, who only had seven attempts in that game, and he ran for 12 yards. Then it was DJ Dallas, who had three attempts for four yards. So, I mean, (laughs) Pittsburgh kind of made Miami one-dimensional that day, put all the pressure on Malik to hit on those deep shots that he couldn't hit on. And so would that have changed with Mark Walton? Probably a little bit. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about. All right. Are we ready for my, my second what if? I think it's a little bit better than the first one. <laughs> Do it. All right. So let's take us back again. Same time frame. We're not talking the 2017 season, though. Uh, but we are talking about the 2018 recruiting cycle. Um, it's January. Todd Hartley is out on the road recruiting. Where you ask? Well, he's in Alabama. Is he there for a tight end? No, he's there for a kicker. Who is this kicker? Well, it's uh, Evan McPherson. Um, for those unaware, Evan McPherson was the number one ranked kicker in the class of 2018. Todd Hartley wanted him pretty bad um he was able to talk mcpherson and his family into visiting in late march uh and i I remember all by all accounts things went really well on that visit the hurricanes thought that mcpherson might be the guy and then all of a sudden two weeks later um he commits to mississippi state uh the initial reason is that because where he lives in alabama i I can't remember the, the town off the top of my head 
is about a two hour drive from Starkville. So Hartley has to regroup. Um, he, he ends up flying out to Texas during the spring evaluation period. That's where he sees Bubba Baxa kick. Uh, he offers Baxa, and a few weeks later, Baxa is committed. So my what if is what if Evan McPherson picked Miami? Um, how many more games would Miami have ended up winning over the past two seasons? Uh, McPherson probably sounds familiar to some of, some of you guys out there that aren't huge recruiting people. He ended up flipping his commitment to Florida after Dan Mullen la- uh, left Mississippi State. And over the past two seasons, he has gone 34 of 38 on field goal attempts, including a 10 of 12 clip from 40 yards plus. Um, Backs, on the other hand, went 14, and 20, uh, 14 of 22 these past two seasons, uh, and he was just three of six from over 40 yards. Uh, so it seems like things could have gone a lot different if uh, Miami was able to secure the services of uh, Evan McPherson. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. Um, I I do think, obviously, if Miami had a good kicker this past year, some of these early season games might have gone a little differently. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sold. You can put all these close losses on the kicker, on Bubba Baxa, um, but I think. I think the argument is fair. And so let's say Miami does have a legitimate kicker this past year. Do they beat Florida? Do they beat North Carolina? Do they beat Virginia Tech? Do they beat Georgia Tech? I'm not convinced they necessarily win all those games, but let's say they win half of them, right? So that means through 10 games, they would have been 10 and two, assuming the rest of the schedule, or sorry, eight and two, assuming the rest of the schedule kind of goes the way it still went um, before that FIU Duke and Louisiana Tech debacles. So yeah, I mean, we, we have learned, there's no doubt on this beat the last two years, we have learned just how important the specialists are with in 2018, the punter the punting was a disaster and Miami felt like the the inability to flip field position led to some losses and then in 2019 we obviously saw the inability to put some easy points on the board via field goals and extra points definitely led to some some of those losses Um, so that's definitely a good what if because I mean there's no doubt McPherson is one of the best kickers in the country and probably will have a shot at an NFL career. Yeah, I think, um, I think just, I just think of Miami sign McPherson. I, I think that the Florida game is, I think it could be a win just cause they had that. I mean, he missed that chip shot early. Um, and I don't know if it was early. I think, yeah, I know he missed a chip shot. And then my, that last drive that Miami got the ball back on offense, instead of playing to try to score a touch, they're playing to get in field position for to set up a game-winning field goal, you know. And if Evan McPherson is, you're pretty much just the stats tell me he's pretty money from 40 plus. You don't have to get that that close, and you feel pretty confident that he's gonna that he's gonna kick a walk-off right there. So, um, I mean, I think that, and I think that leads to, I think just the momentum from winning that Florida game kind of carries over into North Carolina, and then you know maybe if they beat North Carolina, then I just think it becomes a momentum thing from that point. And is Georgia Tech even that close of a game that we need to be? worried about field goal kicks if Miami's already kind of feeling good and kind of in a rhythm. And I think it just kind of has this like more of a carryover effect just from winning that first one where, you know, and then obviously if everything was exactly the same and everything happened exactly the same, Evan McPherson doesn't miss the extra point against Virginia tech at the end when just Miami had a chance to tie the game and take it to overtime and all that stuff. Um, so I think it obviously would have been huge. Again, you can't just point to bubble backs and say, Hey, this is all these losses are on him. Definitely would have helped if he would have made a couple. If he would have made a couple of the very, you know, reasonably, reasonably asked kicks for him to make, but um, I think it would have been significantly different with uh, with a guy like McPherson, like McPherson. I mean, I don't know how many games they would have won 
in 2018, but 2019, I think, would have went yeah, a lot sure. different. Um, sure. And on that same note, we haven't even talked about that one major news nugget that came out, them adding an FCS punter uh, via the, the, the transfer portal, <laughs> a, a walk-on. <laughs> um, you gotta, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the kid's name, but uh, I, I will say Miami, over the past... I don't know, a couple months has really shored up the special teams department. Now they got experienced kickers and, and, and punters, and hopefully that's not an issue moving forward. All right, should I go with mine now? Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. Okay, mine is another what if in terms of what if guys didn't leave for the NFL draft. So mine pertains to the 2018 team and what if defensive tackles from 2017 rj mcintosh and kendrick norton did not leave early for the nfl draft and came back for their senior years um you know i think a lot of people might shrug their shoulders at that but let's examine it take a closer look and maybe think about the impact that might have had. So that means Miami's defensive tackle trio would have been RJ McIntosh, Kendrick Norton, and Gerald Willis. I personally think RJ McIntosh is a little underrated for, for what he did at Miami. Um, he's a guy that his last year, according to Pro Football Focus, had 28 quarterback pressures. And Gerald Willis's uh, very productive 2018 season. He had 26 quarterback pressures. So both those guys, you know, I think Jared Willis obviously put up bigger numbers during his 2018 season than McIntosh did in 2017. But both those guys are both extremely good at getting behind the line of scrimmage and pressuring quarterbacks. And then Kendrick Norton, very good run stopping defensive tackle at the college level. So in 2018, you know, you look back at all the stats, Miami was top five in a lot of categories on defense. Most of those categories had to do with pass defense. I think they were number one in the country in pass defense, number three in third down defense, number four in total defense. Um, but you look at their running stats, their run defense stats, and they finished that year number 42 in the country. And when you do a closer examination of how that played out game by game, there was definitely some uh, improvement that could have been had in their losses. So you look at LSU, and that game overall, in a total game sense, yeah, the run defense was fine, but LSU did bust a 50-yard touchdown run in the – first half that kind of broke the game open and so it's kind of hard to claim your in my opinion it's hard to claim your run defense is doing a good job in a game like that when you give up a 50-yard touchdown run you look at the losses to Boston College Miami allowed 200 rushing yards in that game against Wisconsin in the bowl game that year they allowed 300 rushing yards in that game Duke in that loss Duke busted a 75-yard touchdown run early in that game. Georgia Tech, you know, they run the option that year. So they ran for 230 yards, which is fine. That's acceptable against Georgia Tech because that's just what they do. But when you look closer at their stats, only one running back was tackled for a tackle for loss in that game. And it was like a negative three-yard rush, and that was it for the whole game for Georgia Tech running back. So I guess my question is, would it have mattered in terms of wins and losses that year if R.J. McIntosh and Kendrick Norton came back as seniors for that 2018 defense to make you know, an already elite defense maybe an all-time defense? Or was that season just a case of, you know, the quarterback play was just too inconsistent, and that's ultimately what was going to sink that team no matter what. So initially, I was kind of under the uh, 
like it, it, it won't matter. And I, I think that's kind of where I end on this. It, it really wouldn't have. Um, but you bring up those rushing numbers, and I do think that's a good point. Um, I mean, Gerald Willis had a very good season, but if you add Kendrick Norton and R.J. McIntosh to that rotation, that, that just gives you more. And um, I think it could have changed the LSU game to some degree. Miami, for the most part, held those guys in check. Uh, but maybe the Tigers don't spring that that long run, which really was kind of the the backbreaker um, per se. And you know, I, I do think with that squad, there was eventually some point in the season where where the defense kind of mailed it in and and they got frustrated. But maybe those two returning kind of changes uh, the culture in the locker room. Um, maybe there's a different message perceived by some of the teammates so, so ultimately I, I think the quarterback play was what really what really hurt but I do think uh, maybe it could have changed uh, a game here or there yeah just uh, after a while I was kind of going to go to I just think the quarterback play was so bad that there's only there's really only so much that that guys like that could have could have really done um, but that I think back to what we were talking about, just about like the Clemson thing and how Clemson had just all this depth. I just think it gives Miami like that elite depth, like for the first time, I think on the defensive line where it's just like, no matter who you throw in there, it's just kind of like a bunch of guys that can just go out and make a play on any given snap. So I think in that sense, it would have been, it would have been interesting to see how much it actually would have affected like an LSU game or even when Miami goes up to Boston college and AJ Dillon has his way with them. And, um, you know, there, there's no really way, there's no real way to, to actually know, but I think that it would have made some sort of a difference. Um, I'm not sure if two guys like that are really the difference between a win or a loss, but I mean, when you're, when the numbers are what you say they are, it's, it, it really, it really makes you think about it. But I mean, just those decisions, even if it didn't affect the wins or the losses was just something I never really understood. Um, I do like RJ, RJ McIntosh a lot. I did like him a lot. I really like Kendrick Norton too, but I never really thought that those are the types of guys that should have just like split after their junior year to go to the NFL. So I just would have liked to see them come back for the fact that I just felt like they should have been a part of that team. I just think that they, I just think that they left too soon and the way they could have contributed that next year with Gerald Willis doing what he was doing and with just like the rest of the defensive line playing the way that they were and with the past defense the way that it was was arguably the best in the country it just, it just would have been really awesome to watch I think it would have been really really cool to actually witness that defense as a whole I think it would have been like what you're saying potentially an all-time defense like like one of those once in a generation type mining defenses that I personally haven't even really experienced as 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 a UM fan yeah Andrew what is what's the number if they did come back that year how many draft picks would have been on that team like 10 yeah hold on I gotta pull it up again I knew you were gonna ask me this because in our previous edition I brought it up um yeah it's crazy because that would have been a championship defense so Kendrick Norton went in the seventh round of the Miami Dolphins obviously he's not playing football anymore after that injury, um, RJ McIntosh, I think he finally played this past year for the Giants. He was activated. He was a fifth round pick. So that's two. Then you got Joe Jackson, who went last year to the Dallas Cowboys. He's still with them. Um, Jonathan Garvin, who we're expecting to be drafted next week. And so that's four. Uh, Greg Russo, I think he's pretty much a lock. That makes five. Um, at linebacker, you had Shaq and, and Pinckney. Um, I'm assuming one of those guys, so six, seven. And then in the secondary, I mean, man, the secondary was absolutely loaded. Michael Jackson, he was a fifth-round pick last year. Sheldrick Redwine, Jaquan Johnson, Trajan Vandy. Um, and then you have a chance at Gervin Hall. So it's going to be close to, to 10 guys, and there's going to still be some more guys who are probably you know, undrafted free agents. Um, they really – wasted a championship defense in my opinion yeah I mean you know we're, we're kind of circling around some interesting what-ifs like this is how close it kind of really is for Miami in my opinion like it it all kind of starts at quarterback like you gotta have a somewhat productive quarterback and then it all it all kind of flows from there and 
So, yeah, I mean, if Miami had a quarterback, if Brad Kai came back in 2017, who knows? Or, yeah, 2017, who knows what that domino effect might have caused for getting the next quarterback? Who knows? But it, it is – I do think this era, this recent era of Miami football, they are so close, and yet they're still going, you know, 7-5, and 7-6. and six because of a lot of close losses where the margin for error really is small. You're right. I mean, we touched on quarterbacks, kickers. Um, It's just, I don't know, it's a fun exercise to kind of do some what ifs. And like I said, I mean, I gave you guys, there was no parameters on when we had to do this, but everyone kind of seemed to zero in on the same uh, 2017 to, to 2018 to 2018 stretch, which is, which is funny. Gabby, what you got? Last one. All right, last one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward a couple of years, I guess something more recent, and I guess more personable to me because I kind of have to deal with this. Um, what, if Miami, um, what if Miami beat FIU and Duke to finish the season last year the way they were supposed to? They had just come off – well, Jaron Williams had just come off his record-breaking six-touchdown performance at Louisville, against Louisville. Miami was hot. They'd just beaten Florida State. You know, they were kind of rolling. The expectation was to kind of come off that bye week, be fully rested, beat FIU, take care of Duke, which is two very winnable games, then kind of see what happens. So my what if is what if Miami just simply took care of their business and just did the things that they were supposed to do to finish the 2019 season? Where are we sitting today? Like, how does it affect recruiting? How does it affect, I mean, who are they playing in the bowl game? Like, what what do you think happens if Miami just – does the things they're supposed to do at the end of 2019. Well, we have a thousand more subscribers on the site. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, just witnessed Miami get smashed in the bowl game by uh, Alabama because that's who everyone thought they were going to play if they had won out. <laughs> uh, and they got two five-stars. I got Justin Flo and Darnell Washington. Um, but no, I, things would be a lot different. Um, I think Dan Enos would still be uh, employed in, in Coral Gables. I, I think uh, Derek King is somewhere else, maybe Maryland. Um, it would be it would be a lot different. There would be a lot more recruiting momentum right now in the class of 2021. Um, so it's an interesting to, thing to think about. I think all of us uh, prior to the FIU game kicking off could have not seen how that stretch of games would have played out. So um, it just shows how fast things can change. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting what if, because there is something to the momentum of beating FIU, beating Duke. I think there would have been a much more recruiting momentum, which is interesting to think about because ultimately, I mean, Miami still somehow signed the number 13 class in the country. Um, What would it have been? If they didn't lose all those terrible games, maybe top 10, who knows? So in that sense, I do think it would have been interesting. In the team sense, as far as what it means for this 2020 season, to me, it kind of would have put lipstick on a pig, so to speak. Like, I think for this 2020 year, the way 2019 ended and, and of course, this is all said with hindsight, and we know the moves that Manny has made after that, those losses. But I think now Miami is set up for real success in 2020, whereas if Miami beat FIU, beat Duke, who knows what happens in the bowl game. You know, Jaron's still the quarterback, Danino's still the O.C., Long-term wise, is that, is that what's best for this program? I would argue where Miami is right now after the offseason changes with Rhett Lashley at offensive coordinator and Derek King at quarterback, I think Miami is in a much better situation to have real success. And honestly, I think Miami, because of those changes, Miami is now in a position to have a potential 10 plus win season in 2020. I'm not necessarily sure that could have been the case with Jaron still at quarterback and Dan Eno still as the OC. Well, David, I mean, think about it. Uh, 
after what was it, the Duke game on this podcast, we said Miami needs to go spread. And yeah. you, what was the phrase you just used? Lips, lipstick, putting lipstick on or something? <laughs> lipstick I, on a pig. Yeah, I, I think it's more of like you open up the hood. You, if, if Miami had one out, right, and, and Jaron's the quarterback and Enos is still the guy, you open up the hood and you're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it looks good on the outside, but the inside parts aren't really what they should be. I mean, we have been saying this, and I think everyone agrees, Miami needs to go spread. Um, they, they needed that, and, and those losses, in a way, kind of accelerated it and made Manny – kind of reassess take a step back and say hey what what went wrong what do I need to change what do I need to do to keep my job um so I think you know they in a way kind of ripped off the band-aid and we'll see where this all goes I mean everything sounds great right now um until the games are actually played but I do think there is uh, is that silver lining or a positive I mean it sucks if you're a Miami fan how it ended but um at least we think Manny did the right things to get this thing headed in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I it's weird to say that, like, like, looking back, it's a good thing they lost all those terrible games. Like, you could argue the FIU loss is the worst loss in program history. You could argue Louisiana Tech not getting into the red zone against Louisiana Tech is embarrassing, which it is. So it's weird to argue that Miami is now in a much better spot because of those things taking place, but I genuinely believe that they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Obviously, I'm super happy with the way things are now, just with Rhett and with Tierra King. Uh, it needed to happen. Like, I think it was, it was pretty obvious. Even before everything, you kind of saw the way the offense was kind of going, and it definitely wasn't what everyone thought it was going to be, but – like just my thing is like obviously if if they had won those games like we're not even thinking about that right now you know like Miami's just thinking holy crap we just signed Justin Flo if Andrew's saying we're just signed Darnell Henderson we just signed two five stars a top ten class and you're riding a yeah maybe you didn't beat Alabama or whoever it is in the bowl game but you finished the season on a, on a five game winning streak you have that kind of positive momentum and you're kind of riding it into next year like even if yeah maybe you did need to go spread and yeah like you said it's probably putting lipstick on a pig or the hood like like under the hood it really sucks but I think like for at least from a recruiting standpoint I think Miami's definitely in a, in a much better spot than they are right now. all right guys so uh what do you think of the what ifs I thought that was kind of fun yeah no it's a fun look back and like I said I think you can tell by all our what ifs just how close Miami is to get getting it going. And there's been a couple little things I think you could see that just keeps tripping them up. And if Manny can prevent those small things from happening, then, you know, I, the, the ability is there for this program to win 10 games in the ACC Coastal. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can get this thing figured out. Um, before we wrap up, what else you guys got kind of coming on deck in, in terms of stories and uh, whatnot? Yeah, so I caught up with um, Derek King's quarterback trainer, I guess you call him. I don't know. Um, very nice guy. His name is uh, Daryl Colbert, and he is from the Houston area. And during this time – of social distancing and all that stuff. You know, the guys on the team, Miami's team, have all kind of scattered and gone back home. So Derek is back home in Houston, and he's working with Coach Colbert. And so I was able to get him on the phone for 20 to 30 minutes, and we talked a lot about Derek King, what, what he brings to the table at quarterback from a physical standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, work ethic standpoint. Just a very good conversation. And so, you know, I'm breaking all this stuff up into like a little series. So on Friday, we're recording this on Friday. I put out the first two articles from that conversation. I'm going to have more, you know, probably two or three more over the next few days. Just uh, another good look at De'Eric King and what makes him such a successful quarterback at the college level. Yeah, and I think uh, our, our colleague Chris Stock had some video of him up. Uh, yeah, working out. Gabby, what do you got? 
what you got coming up? I know you're, you're cooking up a long form for Saturday. Yeah. So pretty much I'm working through just kind of going through doing a long form on all of Miami's decommits and where, where a few of their, where a few of them are, are today. So, I mean, you kind of go back looking through it and it's just like, it's almost like overwhelming, like, holy crap, like all these guys really almost came to Miami and all these guys have actually decommitted from Miami. Like the, the list is just huge and there's so many different names and directions you can go with some of the guys there and so many different paths that they all took. So um, I'm cooking that up right now and I'm going to have that up probably, oh yeah, today's Friday, so tomorrow. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for this episode of of Through the Smoke. Uh, Please leave us a view and we'll talk to you guys uh, next time. Take care. Later, guys.